Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. I don't typically preach topical sermons. Typically you know that I am working through a book of the Bible. But several months ago, I felt this topic laid on me of, forgive, of forgiveness, confession, and repentance. And as you can see on the slide behind me, it says part one. Basically, the next several weeks are going to deal with these aspects. The whole of Scripture, I want to set up a bit of a foundation. The whole of Scripture is the account of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, displaying His glory in the redemption of fallen man. I don't know what you open the Bible for. I don't know how you read it. I don't know what you think about it when you read it. But there is an ark, and not Noah's ark, there is an A-R-C ark starting at creation and drawing its line to consummation. I talked about those two thoughts several weeks ago. Creation, the beginning of time, and consummation, the end of time. And there is an arc that goes from beginning to end through the scripture that is all about God displaying his glory through the redemption of fallen mankind. Now, you may read it to be inspired, not wrong. You may read it to be strengthened or encouraged, not wrong. You may read it to be corrected. I promise if you are reading it sooner or later, you will be corrected. But the overall point of the message of God's word, the overarching theme of the whole thing is a massive, majestic God displaying his glory in the redemption of fallen mankind. And by that, even the redemption of the world. When when man sinned, we broke everything. The world is groaning because of our sin, and at the end of time, God will redeem not only those that he saves through faith in Christ, but also his creation, the earth. The Bible tells us about a new heaven and a new earth. From corruption of man in the Garden of Eden to the time that God returns at the end when Christ calls his bride home, unites us with God forever, and judges for all time, all of humanity, throughout all of time, this is what's present in the scriptures. But there is a struggle. Throughout the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and right on through to our lives right here, right now, today, man is in a plight against sin. And there's only one remedy to sin. It can't be ignored. It can't just be swept. You can't lift the proverbial rug and sweep it under it and lay the rug back down. Like, I was standing at my kitchen counter yesterday, and I'm like, what is under this rug? I'm like, I could just feel, you know what that's like? You got a rug that moves or something under it. And you're like, what is this? I picked it up. Well, it was food. That's gross. But I had to get that out of there, right? Because somehow food got under there. And what could I have done? I could have just left it there. It's under the rug. It doesn't matter. Nobody sees it. It's okay. It's not okay. There was a lump under my foot and I could feel it. It bothered me. So I got rid of it. You can't sweep sin under the rug. The struggle always has been and always will include sin. So everyone in the room, now we're all in one bucket. It doesn't matter how, how short or how long you've been in the Word. It doesn't matter if you've never been in the Word right now. Every person in this room is in one category. We're all sinners. And we all need forgiveness. Confession and repentance. Forgiveness, confession, and repentance. Somebody's asking the question. You're looking at those words and you're thinking, Pastor, aren't those all just the same thing but different words? No, 
Absolutely not. They're all linked, but they are not all the same. And it's my hope that as we work through this series over the next several weeks, that we will learn biblically that the Bible will clarify these three necessary components of the Christian life. If your life with Christ doesn't include seeking or giving forgiveness, doesn't include confession of sin, and doesn't include repentance, your Christian life is off kilter a little bit, a lot bit. It needs to be amended biblically. So we're going to work through this uh, topical series, which again for me is a little different because I love to say if you have a Bible, open it too. But there's a verse on the screen it's just kind of to ground us in the fact that forgiveness is offered to us by a holy God. 1 John 1, 9 says, God is faithful if we confess our sins to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God's word. Like God is faithful. God's word is saying he is faithful to do this. But what does that mean for us? What are the actions required on our part? What do we do? How did we end up here? We've talked about that before, but we're going to definitely talk about it again. I don't just want to think that everyone has heard and knows what led us to this point. We're going to deal this week with forgiveness, specifically forgiveness from God. Mankind is in need of forgiveness from God. I want to define forgiveness because all of you are thinking what forgiveness means to you, but I'm not sure if we're all going to be thinking the same thing because culture has so distorted and so ruined so many beautiful things with its own interpretation. But we know that the Bible doesn't come by someone's own interpretation. So when I say forgiveness, I don't know what you're thinking, but I want us all to be on the same page. Forgiveness. Here's a simple working definition for forgiveness to keep in mind. Being set free or setting someone else free from a wrong committed or a debt owed. Forgiveness, being set free, or setting someone else free from a wrong committed or a debt owed. We need forgiveness from God. Wrongs have been committed and a debt is owed. I know the tendency for many who have been in the Bible or in church for a long time, the tendency will be to maybe kind of zone out a little bit. Don't. Don't zone out to God's word and our need for forgiveness. Man needs forgiveness, every single one of us, because we have sinned against God. We have a working definition for forgiveness, but now we need to talk about what sin is. Well, what is sin? Because I don't really feel like that's a sin, right? This is the culture today. Not just the culture in the world. This is the church culture. I, that, doesn't, that doesn't feel like sin to me. And the Bible says, he who knows the right thing and doesn't do well, I, I, that doesn't seem wrong to me. No, no, no. You're, one, you're, you're distorting scripture. He who knows the right to do and doesn't do it sins. There is good that we are to do. There is wrong we are to not do. What is sin? I turn to, as I become famous for and probably bores all of you to tears, but I don't really care. I like these help me. Turn to the catechism that I work with with my children through. It's got simple questions and answers. Question number 16 is this. What is sin? I actually wanted to take a poll throughout the the whole room. What is sin? The answer they provide is is simple for the kids. I enjoy the, the children's answer. I've helped my children understand it this way. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God and the world he created, not being or doing what he requires in his law. That's the kid's answer. Here's the adult's answer. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Rebelling against him 
by living without reference to him, not doing or being what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. Do you understand now the implication of sin? Our death and the disintegration of all creation. Listen, all the bad you're seeing in the world right now, mentally click to your favorite news source right now and, and picture all of the awful things that they talked about the last however long you've been scrolling that news source. Every ounce of bad happening in the world today is because of sin. Every ounce of it. Every ounce. Simply put, what is sin? If you want a simple definition, any violation of God's law. When you don't do what God says to do, or when you do what God says not to do, you are sinning against God. And every one of us have. We are all guilty of it. We are all victims of it. And no one except the Lord Jesus Christ has ever been exempt from it. Without sin. That's why we look to him as the only lamb for the forgiveness of mankind. What led us here? Turn to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Pastor, again with Genesis? Yep, again with Genesis. All the way back to the beginning. Watched a movie one time. If you don't know where to start, go back to the beginning. It's good, it's good wisdom, good words. Let's go back to the beginning when you're not sure where to start. This is why you need a framework that puts all of Scripture in context. Because if somebody asks you today, oh yeah, well, how can a good God allow these bad things to happen? If your context can go back to the beginning of how we got here, you can start working forward from them. We weren't always in this condition. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and come to the end of God creating everything, the heavens and the earth, speaking and it happens, speaking and it happens. He forms man out of the dust and calls him man and blessed are you, be fruitful, multiply. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. It was evening and morning, the sixth day. We know what happened on the seventh day. God rested from his work. Look at those words. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. When God rested from his work, the stain of sin had not corrupted anything yet. Nothing had yet been corrupted and God could look on his creation and say, look, it is very good. He created man, moved down in chapter 2 to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We've talked about this before. We're supposed to work. Work is a good thing. Work is given to us by God. I hope you know what hard work is. Not necessarily the punching of a time clock every day, mind you. I hope you know what good work is, hard work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, verse 16. And the Lord, maybe you want to underline these words. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Pause. 
What do we all blame the sin of man on, mentally? If I were to not open the Bible and just talk about this, what would we go to? What would you go to? Well, the serpent tempted Eve in the garden, she ate the fruit, right? Every one of us, probably from youngest possible in the room to oldest in the room, we would probably intuitively and not necessarily incorrectly go to serpent in the garden, tempted Eve. And she saw the fruit, she liked the fruit, she ate the fruit, she ate it, sinned, gave to her husband, he sinned, and there, and there we are. Did you pay attention to what just happened here with man and God? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know what this just did for creation? Right there with Adam and Eve, before we meet the serpent in chapter 3, hasn't even happened yet. What just happened? Created man in the garden, very good, without the stain of sin, man in this moment is able to sin or not. It's right there in front of him. Adam, you can eat everything you want to eat, but that. Don't eat that. From the day you eat of it, you shall die. Man in the garden, created man pre-fall, able to sin, able to not sin. Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast. Yeah, the serpent. The serpent tempted Eve, and Eve ate the fruit. Ugh. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? No. God said we may eat of any tree in the garden, but not that tree. Verse 2, the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, verse 3, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the knowledge of good and evil. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now look, who tempted who? Who fell into what here? Did, did the serpent tempt Eve into sinning? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit. Now, if we're only looking at Genesis 1, we can look at this and say, the serpent tempted Eve into taking that fruit. When we back up to Genesis 2, all of a sudden we see God telling Adam, you can eat of everything, don't eat of that, for when you do, you will die. And then we can look ahead to James chapter 1, verse 15, where we're told sin is birthed when we act on our temptation, which is a byproduct of our own desire. When she saw that the tree was good for food, 1 John talks about all the world has to offer, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. When she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she contemplated everything about whatever that fruit was hanging on that tree. She looked at it and said, I want that. 
when God said, don't touch it. Leave it alone. So she took, she ate some of its fruit, Genesis 3, verse 6, and she gave some to her husband, pause. How many of you have ever paid attention to the words that follow? She took and gave some to her husband who was with her. Men of the village church, you stop throwing women under the bus of your sin. He was with her. Who was with her and he ate. Well, I mean, she had to have, there must have been some kind of like she took it and ate it. And Adam, eat this fruit. It's so good. And he's just standing there. <laughs> Babe, I'm not going to argue. That fruit looks good. He was with her. Guilty, not tricked, not deceived. That's what comes out of his sin. He says it. The woman you put here deceived me. No, Adam, it was in you. You wanted it as bad as she wanted it, and you took it. She took it, ate of its fruit, gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Uh oh. And they knew they were naked. We can't, this is so. Like, this is in, in Sunday school classes. This is when all the kids giggle. Like, we can't wrap our minds around this. The stain of sin has affected so much that before the fall in the garden, man existed in a way that we cannot fathom. It makes junior high kids giggle. They had no shame, no sin. They were just together, and there was nothing wrong in their living. Back in verse 25 of chapter 2, both the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. Verse 7, chapter 3, then the eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Why? Because all of a sudden they knew we shouldn't just be like this. This is bad. Why? Because what was good, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 Everything was very good, all of a sudden is no longer very good. Now it's been wrecked. It's been ruined. They're ashamed. We're, uh, put some clothes on. This is, something's wrong. What happened? Man in the garden before the fall, able to sin, able to not sin. Eat of everything you want, but not that one. It's right there. You can eat of it, but when you do, you're going to die. Don't do it. The woman gave into her ability to sin. She ate the fruit and so did man. Sin is our fault. Sin is our fault. Your sin is not the fault of someone around you. It's your fault. We are guilty. We have sinned against God. Romans 1 brings this to us. Romans 1, Romans, Romans 5. Just as sin entered the world through one man, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Members of Adam's race, humanity, we are sinners. We have sinned against God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> The woman and the man in the garden both eat. They both sin because they both had desire for what God said, don't eat. 
and humanity has been ruined ever since. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to help you understand the reality of fallen man's condition. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Context. Paul is writing to a church of believers. The Ephesians are believers. He says, and you were dead. Sins in which you once walked, among whom we once lived. So here, as we're defining and understanding the condition of fallen man, we are also seeing that redeemed man is something different. There is fallen man and there is redeemed man. We're talking about fallen man for a moment. The reality of man's condition after the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, giving in to the desire of their heart, eating the fruit that God commanded them not to eat. Look at the reality of fallen man. Dead in trespasses and sins. Walking in them. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. This is believed to be a reference to Satan. He has power and it is limited So it's likened unto the power of the air. It's limited before God. His power is great among mankind. He does roam the earth. He does seek to devour, but he is not unlimited in his power. Satan operates with granted permission from God. We've got to understand these things. Prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now, look what it says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is where they live, verse 3, among whom we all once lived, all of us. Where did we live? We lived in the passions of our flesh. We lived staring at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and wanting the fruit that was hanging there. Desired it. Eve wanted it. She took it. Adam wanted it. He ate it. They sinned. Carrying out the desires of the body. And the mind. Fallen man, by nature, children of wrath. The reality of fallen man's unredeemed condition due to original sin. That sin in the garden has plagued all of Adam's race and is going to continue to plague us until God returns and calls us home. Fallen man is beset with sin. Maybe you've heard that word before, beset. Maybe it's a new word that you're like, what does that mean? It means troubled with. It means surrounded by. Sin is a problem for us. Fallen man is beset with it. When fallen man sins, he does so because it comes naturally to him and he doesn't care. Fallen man does not care about their sin. Oh, sure, Fallen man can do good based on conscience. They can choose moral good. But that decision for fallen man is like this or that. Do I want the Coke or the Pepsi? 
Do I want the fries or the mashed potatoes? Do I want to be an adulterer or be faithful? Do I want to be a drunkard or be sober? It's just another decision. That's all it is for fallen man. They can choose moral good, and thankfully, I think that we see most people choosing moral good, but it's not out of any other reason other than, you know what, it's good to not kill someone. I'm going to not do that. There's no conviction in the life of fallen man, do you understand? Fallen man is beset with sin. It surrounds us. It hems us in all around. Without the grace and mercy of God through faith in Jesus Christ, his atonement for sin, without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, fallen man finds himself bound by original sin and facing God's wrath. We've talked about this over and over. This is the only condition for fallen man. Bound by original sin, not besetting sin. It's all around us. But original sin is the problem for fallen man. Now the redeemed. Because there's original sin. It has ruined all of mankind. And then there is ongoing sin. And that's a problem for the believer. Fallen man is sinning according to their nature. They don't know better. Maybe they choose moral good. That's great. But when they sin, they, they sin by nature. Redeemed man When we sin, if you're in the room today and you're redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray you are, when you sin, you are sinning contrary to the new nature that has been given to you through the rebirth that the Holy Spirit brought to you through faith in Christ. When we as believers sin, we sin contrary to our new nature. What happens? This is what causes us to say, that wasn't right. Well, yeah, but fallen man does it. Yeah, but fallen man doesn't know why they do that. Let's not forget that in this entire conversation, man is made in one image and according to one likeness. Man has a conscience, but it's not directed or governed by the Holy Spirit, and there is no conviction. This is why you can see, you ever see pictures of criminals? Of course you have. You see a picture of a criminal, and you look at that picture and you're just like, man, that person looks like they just don't care. They don't, like, they don't, they don't even feel what they've done. Like, there's, you've seen this. We've all seen this. We're like, man, what what in the world? They don't. Fallen man doesn't care. Yeah, sure, they're going to have to suffer consequences that they're not going to appreciate in this life. They're going to spend a night in jail. They're going to spend time in the clink. They're going to do all these things. They're going to pay a lot of money. They may get sentenced to death for what they did. At the end of the day, their spirit is not moved by, boy, I really should have done something different. Redeemed man, however, has the Holy Spirit. This is the difference between fallen man and redeemed man. The conviction of the Holy Spirit when we sin is a byproduct of regeneration. And Holy Spirit conviction is never wrong and never false. You see a person who sins and sins and sins, and we're going to talk about that, deliberately keeps on sinning, and there's no response to, dude, what are you doing? Get it right. No response. But, I mean, they, they believed in Christ at a younger age and professed faith, but I don't know what's going on with their life. They were never reborn by the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit does not leave new man alone. You're bothered and plagued by sin or the Holy Spirit never did a work in you. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It is a byproduct of regeneration. Titus talks about Titus chapter 3. We're regenerated 
renewed as fallen man into redeemed man by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. This is what John 3 is all about. When you read Jesus Christ talking to Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, and Nicodemus is like, bro, I'm out on what you're saying. And Christ says, you're a great teacher, and you don't understand this. The Holy Spirit brings new life to what was, Ephesians 2, dead. To what was following the course of the world. To what is living according to the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind. That's what fallen man is. And when the Holy Spirit changes that, something changes in the life of that person. You can no longer just abide with sin. If you abide with sin and it's not a big deal, then, then there's reason for you to question, Did I, have I believed anything by faith in Christ at all, or am I just demonstrating moral goodness? Let me tell you right now, moral goodness isn't getting you into heaven and glory with Christ. Moral goodness is not good enough to atone for the problem of sin. Remember man in the garden, able to sin, able to not sin. This is redeemed man as well. Oh, pastor, I, I, man, my sin, it's so, oh no, I'm, I'm not saying that sin is not a struggle for us. I'm saying that the Bible tells us that as redeemed, regenerated Christians following the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a mechanism to fight against sin and not do it. Fallen man doesn't. They just sin. They don't think twice about it. We have the Holy Spirit within us convicting us. When temptation comes, what does the Bible say? We just studied in Corinthians, I think it's chapter 10. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And when temptation comes, so comes escape. What is the escape? The Holy Spirit telling you, don't do it, I won't do it. I'll take it captive and I'll obey Christ. I'm going to stay away from this temptation. Because temptation, when it's acted upon, breeds sin. That is the result. When you act on temptation, you are stepping into sin. We face temptation every single day, every single one of us. There is something pulling at our will to serve God. Temptation present always. And we are all of us always, I pray, boy do we fail. No, I will not act on that. I will not do this because the Holy Spirit has produced in us the ability to say no to sin. You understand, what we're really talking about is the Holy Spirit in us helping us stay away from sin. Holy Spirit is sustaining our walk with Christ. Praise God. You don't have to do this on your own. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ didn't sin. We have the ability through faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to not sin. But we do. The minute we start to think we don't sin, we have a problem. We are sinners. Redeemed man sins. Able to sin, able to not sin. Galatians chapter 5. Why don't you turn there? It's just back one book. We're in Ephesians. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at some of the some of the warnings, some of the indicators that come along with redeemed man. <clears throat> able to sin, able to not sin. Galatians chapter 5. I don't know. Verse 13. There's a specific argument being made here by, by Paul to the Galatian church. You understand that the Galatians are Gentiles, and there are Jewish believers that are telling these Gentile believers, you've got to be circumcised. 
And Paul is saying, don't listen to them. You don't have to do anything in your flesh to be right with God. We're saved on the basis of faith because that's the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ in us. Don't go circumcising yourselves to be right with God. You don't have to do that. Making his argument through Galatians, he comes to chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Oh, those are good words. I hope somebody's grabbing a hold of that in your life today. Called to for whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Look what he says. Only, I have these words circled, and I didn't circle them for this message, so these must have been important at some point in time in my life. Amen. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Why would the Bible tell us not to use our freedom for an opportunity of the flesh? Because we can. Because you can. You're able to sin. And let's just admit something. We like sin. It's not necessarily the vice. We just, we like sin. Desire. We're broken. At our best, we are broken. And we have desires that are contrary to the Holy Spirit. He says, don't use your opportunity. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Move down. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. He works this out in Romans chapter 7. And man, is it a twisty, naughty mess to read. The things I do, I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. Oh, who will save me from this body of death? Like he just comes to an end discombobulated because he recognizes the tension of ongoing, besetting sin and the freedom from original sin because there's the difference. Redeemed man is free from the bond of original sin. And now we are struggling with ongoing sin besetting us. He says they're opposed to each other. This is why, man, if you've ever been a hypocritical Christian, you ever want to talk about hypocrisy in the life of a Christian, I'd love to sit down and talk with you. It will do nothing but turn everything in your life into twisted, naughty mess Nothing's right, nothing feels right, nothing works. Why? Because the inside and the outside don't match and they are opposed to one another. I've lived this. They're opposed. He goes down, look what he says, going down a little further, Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, kind of about the middle after he names all of these things that mark the sinful nature. I warn you as I warned you before that those who bracket it, sin, those who do such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's besetting sin, and there's deliberate sin. And there is deliberate sin among believers that people think are saved. Those who deliberately sin, about to say strong words, so grab a hold of your chair, brace yourself, whatever you want to do, I don't know. Deliberately sin, deliberately identify yourself as unregenerate. You're not saved. Deliberately sin, the Holy Spirit is not in you. Deliberately. Sin against God, err, violate, go against his command, fall. If you read, and we're going to, uh, in Exodus, in Leviticus, when all of the offerings are set up, do you know the words that are used almost every single time for every single offering, for every single sin? You know what's used? If someone unintentionally sins. 
It's never, ever supposed to have marked the life of believers. It's supposed to be a, Pastor, I have made a grievous mistake. I have violated God's command. I I have sinned. And the Holy Spirit punches us in the gut over that stuff. We seek God's forgiveness because of it. It's never supposed to be a pattern of life. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. I need you to see this. We as believers, we must understand that in the life of a Christian, those who practice and deliberately live in sin are not saved. Yeah, we sin every day. It besets us. Fallen man sins. We sin. Redeemed man sins. We have an advocate, praise God. We don't make a practice of it, I hope. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Look at these words. I'm just going to read it. 4 through, I don't know, maybe verse 9. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, talking about Jesus Christ, appeared in order to what? Take away sins. And in him, there is no sin, Jesus Christ. Verse 6, no one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, oh, thank you, Lord, for being tender to us. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the seed of the gospel that is growing up to salvation and eternal life. When Christ returns, we are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians talks about. End of verse 9. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Born of God, you do not continue to sin. Sin grieves us. It hurts us. It challenges us. We feel that. You know what this is. I pray you know what this is. I know what this is. When I sin and I feel the Holy Spirit come on me, child, where are you? I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I'm naked, so I hid. This is not the posture of God to us. Our brother Mark helped us see the past couple of weeks the nature of God who is forgiving. He's saying, come to me, offer the sacrifice which is completed in Christ and say, forgive me, God, a sinner. He forgives us and we are in need of his forgiveness. Pastor, I'm confused though. How can sin, how does sin affect a Christian who's been set free from sin? That's a good question. And I'm not going to go into all the nitty-gritty details of how sin can, can affect us, how sin does affect us, but I am going to have you turn over to Revelation chapter 2. The seven churches of Revelation. Show of hands, haven't done it in a while. How many people have ever studied the seven churches of Revelation? 
Many people are familiar that there are seven churches in Revelation, and sometimes we know what they're talking about, and sometimes we have no idea what they're talking about, but there's this weird start to this book of Revelation where we talk about these seven churches, and then it seems that after those seven churches, it kind of literally seems like all hell breaks loose on planet Earth. Accurate. Pretty accurate. Pictures of what's happening in heaven and pictures of what's happening on the earth. And there's these seven churches at the very beginning that Christ is very specifically talking to John about. Show of hands. Anybody feel that you understand what these seven churches actually represent? Nobody that did put their hand up is now, so great. You know what they, I can hear you, I'm going to tell you, so thank you. The seven churches represent specific churches in John's day. They represent all believers throughout all time, me and you. We start reading it, and we're like, oh, this, this church in Ephesus, oh man, they're a mess. I know the church in Ephesus. No, you might. You may know the church in Ephesus, or you may know the church in Smyrna. As you read through these, and the churches are described, you're like, oh boy, I know who that church is. Listen, the seven churches is the village church, all in one. We're not perfect. These churches are representative of all churches and all believers throughout all of time. And they give us a glimpse of how ongoing sin ruins us. And there is a wonderful progression. Look at it. First, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, the church in Ephesus. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. What happens? Distraction, right? Because when we come to know that we've been set free through faith in Jesus Christ and his grace has saved us from our sin and we're free, there is like this, and you are on fire. Like, I am telling every person I know about the Lord Jesus Christ because he has changed my life, he has saved my soul, I am convinced, and I am going like gangbusters for like six minutes. And then you stop going to church because it got inconvenient. And then you stop reading the word because I just don't have time. And then you stop having fellowship and distraction takes over. And the next thing you know, that love that was burning hot for the Lord God who saved you has grown utterly cold and dead. Distraction causes us to abandon our love for God and we grow cold. Number two, chapter two, verse 14 the church of Pergamum. I have a few things against you. You have some there who, we could put in brackets, teach falsely. You're like, I don't know, man, what is all this stuff? Like the ways of teaching of Balaam and Balak and stumbling for sons. But this isn't me, this isn't me. Oh no, sure it is, listen. I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching, dot, dot, dot. Put a stumbling block before, dot, dot, dot. That they might, dot, 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 practice sexual immorality, eat food sacrificed to idols. That's specific. Like there are specific things to John's day and there are things to our day. We don't eat food sacrificed to idols means nothing to us. You know what means something to us? We sin because in the church, false teaching creeps in and causes us to believe that sin is okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter. It's okay, young people. Push that line and go as far as you want to go. The Bible says this, not that. Wrong! Don't do it! Don't touch the fruit. Don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will die. Stay away. Distraction first. Love grows cold. Then false teaching. Look at the, look at the progression of what happens here. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. I have this against you. 
You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Do you see the difference between those two churches that just happened? One is teaching it. The other is practicing it. Holy smokes, are you kidding me? You know what this is? Distraction, then false teaching. It's okay. And you know what happens? Once it's okay, we stop dealing with it. You know what happens once you start dealing with sin? It just consumes and takes over before all of a sudden all you have is a room full of hypocrites. It's the next one. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Hypocrisy. You look like one thing, but you're not. You're another completely distraction. Our love grows cold all of a sudden. This ongoing sin, the problem with ongoing sin, we're distracted in our love for God. We are pulled away. False teaching starts to tell us that it's okay. The next thing you know, we're not dealing with anything because we're just practicing it. And then we're hypocrites who say, go to church. And we look all in the mirror and get our shirts all straight. And we walk into church, a giant disaster absolutely wrecked with sin, not dealing with it all. How are you doing? I'm doing well, brother, and how are you? Actually, the reality is I am sinning very much, and I like it. That's, that's most churches today. We're not dealing with it. Do you understand why the Bible talks about church discipline and kicking people out of the church? We don't like the word excommunication. We're like, oh man, holy Roman Catholicism. No, 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 no. Long before any pope ever decided to say excommunication in the Catholic Church, Jesus said, get the evil out from among you. But we don't. But we don't. We just tolerate it. Distraction distracts us from our love of God. We stop reading his word. All of a sudden, false teaching creeps in. It's not even God's word anymore. Now we're being pulled away by false teaching, so we're not dealing with sin. All of a sudden, we become hypocritical. Slow decay starts to happen. You know what comes after hypocrisy? Let me tell you, self-righteousness. Ugh, one of the worst things ever. Anybody ever been plagued by being self-righteous? I'll put my hand up first. I can be self-righteous with the best of them. I know so much. I've done so much. I can say so much. I've been so many places. Look at me thump my chest. Gross. You know what all that is? It's bombastic air and God says you're false. Get out. Holy smokes. Ongoing sin. It's a problem to the church. It's a problem to redeemed man. We need forgiveness from it. If ongoing sin's not bad enough, those same churches give us a glimpse of Christ's pending judgment for ongoing sin because know this, Christ doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't abide with sin. What happens? Revelation chapter 2 Remember, therefore, verse 5, from where you have fallen. Repent. Boy, we're going to deal with repentance. And do the works you did at first. Why? If not, look what he says. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And everybody said, big deal? Removal of lampstand. Man, the last thing we should ever want is a lampstand removed from the church of God. You want to know why? You know what the removal of the lampstand even signifies? It's the removal of Christ's likeness from his people. It's the removal of the gospel 
It's the removal of all that resembles Christ in the church. I will take myself from among you. And what, like Samson, the youth learned a few weeks ago, I'll go out as I've gone out before, not realizing his strength was gone, removed from him. Judgment of Christ on ongoing sin and redeemed, redeemed man in the life of the church. Removal of the likeness of Christ from his people. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, repent. This is the church that's listening to false teaching. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. You know what that is? Show of hands. Sword of my mouth. Anybody in the room know what the sword of my mouth is in the Bible? Mm, I got to do a lot of teaching. It's the gospel. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the word of God. When God says, when Christ says, I will come and war against them with the sword of my mouth, he is saying, I will come and I will correct them and I will correct them harshly according to my word. Ongoing sin, distraction leads to the removal of Christ's likeness. False teaching leads to correction gospel correction, and it'll be felt by people for miles. This isn't just if God steps into the room and judges my life according to the gospel, I'm not the only one that feels that. If Christ shows up and judges me swiftly according to the gospel for my sin, every one of you is feeling that. We're all feeling that. Lack of dealing with sin. Look what happens in Revelation chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. This is, this is those who are not being taught about it. They're practicing it. Verse 22, behold... I will, man, this, this is awful. I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. You know what happens when we don't deal with sin? We should be sitting in a chair of, I'm just waiting for the terrible calamity. God is going to judge this, and when he does, it's going to be awful. Oh, God wouldn't do that. No, you're right. He wouldn't tell one righteous man to build an ark for his wife, his sons and their three wives, and put eight people on a boat and flood all of the world to kill all of man whose heart is only wicked ever continually. No, he wouldn't do that, would he? Of course he would. He's done it throughout history, and he will do it again. We are in a time right now where the message is the ark is being built. Praise God. People can get on it. Christ is the ark that can save. Because if not, terrible calamity will come if we do not repent of sin. What else? Hypocrisy. That slow decay leads to the removal of anything that is good. Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Sudden, sudden removal of anything good that remains. Remember, the lampstand's already been removed from one, from one church. The likeness of Christ is gone. Now he's saying, listen, you had some good things. I know your last works are better than your first works. But listen, if you don't get your act together, I will take everything good that remains. You know what's really interesting to me? An upwards of 3,500 churches close every year. 
and we stand back and think, what went wrong? What could have been done? I'm going to tell you what's being done. Don't speculate. Here, he says, those with an ear, let them hear. God is, has been, and will continue until he returns to remove his lampstand from churches that are not faithful to him. I pray for us in regards to this. God, find us faithful. Don't remove the lampstand. Don't, remain, don't remove what is good. Strengthen what remains. When a church leaves God, God leaves the church. And we're not done. Look at chapter six, chapter 3, verse 16. The church in Laodicea, probably the most famous one, self-righteousness. Look at what they say, verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I am in need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Look at verse 15, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Utter rejection of those who are false. But you don't just get in because of moral goodness. This is why the regeneration of the Holy Spirit never fails. He saves a soul and you change or you weren't saved and you're not changing. Because those who are not saved, those who reject Christ, ultimately are going to be rejected by Christ. You see the progression? Go back to the last slide really quick. Look at the progression of what happens. Distracted, false teaching, not dealing with sin, hypocrisy, self-righteousness. This, and no, 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 keep it on the last one. This is being addressed to churches biblically. It is written to every single one of us. This is how ongoing sin ruins us. This is why we need forgiveness from God. This is why the righteous standard of living that God sets forward in his word is what we must follow because this decay leads to the results. We're going to deal next week. It's going to be really comfortable. I hope you all come back. We're going to deal with forgiveness from man next week. Because if it's not bad enough that we've sinned against God, we sin against one another. And we need forgiveness from each other. We're going to deal with forgiveness. We're going to deal with confession and repentance over ongoing weeks. But for today, have you sought forgiveness from God? Well, Pastor, you haven't exactly taught me when to seek it. Let me help you. When the Holy Spirit challenges you with sin in your life, that is the time to seek forgiveness from God. The warning that happens across the Old and New Testament is this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. You're like, Pastor, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Listen, if you're sitting here and you are being stirred in your heart, stirred in your mind, that you are not saved, that you are a fallen man, that you are by nature a child of wrath, then the Holy Spirit is stirring in you to say, Father, forgive me. You are being drawn by the loving kindness of a God who forgives. I know that my tone has been loud and it's been harsh. That's not what the sinner meets when they approach God for forgiveness through faith in Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble at heart whether original or ongoing sin, our sin demands a cross. 
Original sin faces only death. Ongoing sin faces judgment in this life. Ongoing sin is not enough to remove the believer from the hand of Christ. You're safe, secure in the hand of Christ forever through faith in Jesus. Your sin doesn't remove that, but boy, does it cause problems. For more than just you, the wages of sin is death. What do I do? Pastor, what do I do? Tell me, tell me what to do. I'm not sure I've ever dealt with forgiveness from God. What do I do? The simplest thing I can tell you is call on the name of the Lord. There was a Pharisee who stood before the altar rattling off all of the good things about himself. He's the church in Laodicea, not recognizing his poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. I do all these things. I go to church. I sing songs. I, I call people. I send cards. I, I give money. I do all these things, and I'm not like that guy over there. He points over to this wretched tax collector sinner. Jesus says that that man couldn't even lift his face to heaven. He just stood there beating his chest saying, forgive me, a sinner. What do I do? Turn to God. God, forgive me. I believe, Christ, that you died for me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 tells us that God forgives us because Christ paid the debt. Remember our working definition? Being set free from a wrong committed or a debt owed. Christ paid what we owed. Man could not do it. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God forgives us. Whether a long-time sinner or a long-time saint, the answer to original sin, the answer to ongoing sin, is always the gospel of Jesus Christ. That a sinless man, the Son of God, lived a sinless life. That he died a sinner's death. That he was buried. That he rose again. That he's in heaven now awaiting the day to return and take all those who are his own to be with him forever. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Is this the, the confession of your faith, the profession of your hope? Do you believe this? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing one last song today. I'm going to pray. If you want to talk more about forgiveness from God, I'd love to talk with you. Don't delay. Judgment will come swiftly. Heavenly Father, God, forgive us. Father, you are good. And in your judgment against sin, you are right. Father, we thank you for providing a way to remove our sin from us as far as east is from west. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his perfect, sinless sacrifice. Oh, Father, forgive us. We have sinned. Forgive me, a sinner. Strengthen us in our fight against ongoing sin. Father, set free those who are still bound from the result of original sin. Oh, Father, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity. God, forgive us. I pray, Father, that we will place our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. Father, for those in the room who are bound still by original sin, Father, I pray that they would be set free, that you would do the saving work that only you can do, regenerate their heart, bring new birth to their life, make them new. 
Father, for those who are walking each day with a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, help us in our fight against ongoing sin. We are beset with weakness. Strengthen us, God, to resist the temptation of our own desire. Help us to cling, Father, to you, to the promise of the gospel, to the promise and the hope that all who call on you will never be put to shame and all who call will be saved. Father, we thank you for the work of Christ. Be with us in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.